But I kind of entitled this thing is How to Survive a Shipwreck with Paul. And it's literally just walking through the text, but we need to kind of look at what's happening. But before we actually get into the text, we've got to kind of look at some of the aspects of a shipwreck to kind of get our minds together with it. All right, well, the best way to think about the event is to see it from the perspective of slow motion. Okay, some of you had some kind of like maybe an accident or something, and you come back and say it kind of felt like it was going in slow motion. Well, a shipwreck kind of occurs that way. They're not instantaneous. It's not like a car crash. Shipwrecks are, I mean, they're, they're pretty slow how they happen. They're not sudden. They slowly build to the destruction. And sometimes you don't even see it coming. You don't even know that it's going to happen. Weather changes. Things get bad, they continually get worse, and then you realize this thing's not going to get better. Second way you can do it, you're in the sea, or on the sea, not in it, hopefully you're not in it yet, you're on it. Nothing around you, neither to hold on to or to anchor the ship. You're adrift, unable to control anything. As they used to say, you're at the mercy of the elements. And three, over time, you just feel hopeless and cannot see any hope at all. When will this ever end, or will it? You've heard many people say that their lives or someone else's life is a shipwreck. You know what? It did not occur instantaneously. It occurred over a period of time, and it slowly deteriorated. They feel like all is hopeless. They can't continue. They can't see that there's an end. I want to assure you that there is an end. We don't necessarily know the end, but there is an end. And it's a good resolution, but the focus is to stay on God. So, Acts 27. We see this event slowly unfold as the Apostle Paul lays it out for us as the event continues. And and earlier in Acts, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of a jump ahead. You know, like kind of what Joe said this morning it's real hard to dive right down in the middle of a text with a single verse and not know what's hanging around it. Now, this was a lot longer earlier when I laid this out. I'm going to try to summarize it because I think all of you understand the events that occurred in, before Acts 27. So Paul preaches in the temple, angers the Jews, causing a fight to the point where they just really right there want to kill Paul. Well, a Roman commander hears what's going on, comes in, stops, pulls Paul out. A lot of events occur, and it really ends up being to the point where first they want to whip him, scourge Paul, and deal with him. And Paul goes, <clears throat> wait a minute, is it lawful for you to scourge or discipline a Roman citizen? Well, that kind of backed him off, because a Roman could not punish another Roman without due process or a trial. Well, that sets something in, in motion. So the commander then, he gets passed off to Felix, who then gets passed off to Festus. And in all this, literally, no matter what happens, Paul's request to be heard and his trial to be heard by Caesar is at the top list. So no matter what these other men try to do, Paul is destined to go to Rome, Okay. So that's kind of where we're at. We're at the point where he's in transport. Now, you and I are kind of thinking, oh, that would be easy, just a nice 
hopscotch and a jump. No, no, no. In those days, travel was much more difficult. We will see Paul in the middle of this violent storm as it builds. No sunlight, no hope. And all those around him will see him trust the sovereign God. The strong testimony that Paul's going to have right there with them. They see it as hopeless. Paul knows God, the creator. So what do you do? What will you do when you find yourself in the most intense storm in your life? What will you do? Will you turn to yourself or others for help, or will you turn to the sovereign God? That's really the kind of frame what we want to look at as we walk through this. You also notice that Paul will not focus on the problem, but on the sovereign God, trusting him. That's a major issue for all of us. What do we tend to do when things start getting chaotic or the bad stuff hits? We start looking at the bad stuff. That's our first reaction. That's the worst reaction. You have to look at God and trust him, even though around you is crazy. Now, we brought it up quite a few times. What was one of Peter's requests when he came out of the boat? He wants to be with Jesus. That makes sense. Jesus says to do what? To stay on the water, walking on the water. You have to keep focus on me. Okay? What's Peter do? Same thing we do. He took his eyes off Jesus. What happened? He went down. Same thing with us. Okay? So Paul is going to physically show us in this horrific event what to do, and stay on that. So we start. Go to Acts 22. We'll start in verses 1 and 2. And this is going to be all read out of the ESV. And I hope I don't mess up any of these uh, names. Because <laughs> there's a lot of names that might get there. As my mom would usually say, you got it on the wrong syllable. Okay. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a, in a ship of Andrometium, got that, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, notice what they're saying along the coast, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, this process of transporting Paul to Rome will take course changes to complete the journey. The journey will be first to move north up the coast from Caesarea and then a westerly travel along the coast. Again, notice it's everything's along the coastlines. It's the best way to navigate. They will be very careful as they travel, making sure they do not set across the Mediterranean Sea early because of this, they're coming close to the wrong season. It's getting, getting risky to even think about going across the Mediterranean. The reason they should not sail across the Mediterranean is because that sea can change its attitude quite quickly. And it's, even though it's a more direct route, it's also more dangerous. There's a lot more issues. So we continue with verse 3 through 8. Verse 3. The next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. Because the winds were against us, 
and when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. I think that's correct. There the centurion found a ship of Alexander's sailing for Italy and puts us aboard. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salome. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Now that sounds, Fair Haven sounds like a nice place to be, all right? Right? Well, okay, not necessarily. In verse 3, it says the next day. Believe it or not, we're talking about a mark of about 69 miles that have already occurred in this journey. So next day, yep, that's about as much as they were able to do. Notice the hard time that they were having dealing with the winds and the sailing. It was difficult. The wind was hard against them. So they were completely in trouble already, not severely. And with our modern ships and modern navigation equipment, we can't understand why they traveled the way they did. But again, without all that navigation equipment, coming along coastlines gives you the best line of sight so you can actually see and keep your reference going and you know where you're at. But things start to turn a little rough. Finally, they land at Fairhaven on the island of Crete. So what time of year are we talking about? That's... Uh, not, not good. It's starting to shift. The time is. All right, verse 9. Since much time has passed, the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Remember, as you read through Scripture, keep picking up in your head a fast. Well, what's that? That's a time period, okay? So it'll keep you marking where you're at in time and season. We see here that the time was the fast. The fast refers to the Jewish Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. It was now October, and the dangerous winter winds were now starting to set in. So you can start seeing that, wow, we've got a situation that's suddenly changing. And again, shipping during this time period gets more dangerous, and it's also the point, too, where they will actually stop any transports until the weather changes. Now again, Fairhaven, sounds like a nice place, right? Mm, not really. It was not a place that anyone wanted to get stuck for the winter. And as we read, the vote was that they move on to a better port, and Paul warns them not to go. That's interesting. That's going to be an interesting play as we keep moving forward. Our hopes were to go a little further, still on the island of Crete to Phoenix for the winter. The sovereign God reveals to Paul that they should stay put, but who's going to listen to this land lover? Really? I mean, who are you? I mean, you're not even a sailor. You've never... Whatever. We're not listening to this nutcase. So, verse 9, we continue. So Paul advises them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo, but of the ship, but also of lives. Now, that's not a good positive statement, right? But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot. That makes sense. And to the owner of the ship, then, with what Paul said, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there, a little bit more of a good aim towards Italy. Now, when the south wind blew gently, 
Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. Again, that's that navigational control point. So they're off again. They're going to go to Phoenix, right? <clears throat> Not really. Keep going. So you think you're on your way of another great cruise. That's always, you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be great. We're just going to go around the corner and we're going to stop at Phoenix. Verse 14, you see how this thing's going to start playing out? And soon a tempestuous wind, not something we use in our vocabulary every day, right? Called the Nor'easter, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. See how this, this has deteriorated? Days, no light, no sun. They can't see the stars. There's no, they're away from land. There's no navigational capability. Not like the electronics that we have today. What a scene. So they have in their minds that they will be there soon until this hurricane force winds hits them. They had a plan to go in one direction, even though Paul said, no, we shouldn't have left. Okay? They do everything they can to hold the ship together by bringing the auxiliary boats on board and lashing it down to the ship and then lashing the whole ship. Now, lashing is a pretty interesting system. We don't need to do it today. But lashing, these were wood boats, okay? And lashing literally was the fact that they would take ropes and take the whole boat and wrap it in ropes to hold the thing together in the storms, hoping that no matter what attack of wind was against this structure, it would hold together. Well, <clears throat> keep going. So they lower the ship's anchor to basically create a drag force to kind of slow it down, give them at least a little bit of Somewhat direction, not all over the place. You see here that these men are also doing all that they can to save the boat and themselves. They jettison the cargo. They're doing everything they logically can. Human thinking, okay? In desperation, they start throwing the cargo overboard. Okay, how's this ship going to ever get any revenue? Don't worry. They're not worried about the revenue. They're worried about their lives. So let's just, whatever. Whatever it's going to cost, we're out of here. The storm rages on, and they'd not seen sunlight nor stars that would have given them some hope. It's dark and barren. They can't see anything. Look at the last verse. We finally abandon all hope of being saved. All hope is lost. All the men had tried to do really just gone to an end. There's nothing there. It's, it's valueless to them. Now let me ask you this. Think about your own lives. 
and the lives of those around you, have you ever been at a place where you see no hope? I mean, every, it's dark. It's black. You don't see any resolution. Maybe you're in that right now. May I give you some great news that the sovereign God is there and he will care for you and you will make it through this all the way through. But through it, you will make it. Verse 21 says, Since they had been without food for a long time, is an interesting statement too. Not only no light, no stars, no navigation, they're not eating. Okay, this is starting to, this is heading down even further. You know, when you're doing all that you can to save yourself, you know, you're really not stopping to fix a meal. Plus, this boat's not probably in a nice, smooth level. It's moving all over the place. Have you ever been on a, on a ship and the thing's moving everywhere? What's your stomach doing? Moving everywhere. How's the last meal that you had? Moving everywhere. Over the boat, you know, it, it's, 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 it's hard. And you're not really thinking about food. You're thinking about survival. Now take a look at this statement. This is John Newton's account for when he was on the ship. Just the same thing. And it's amazing how he's experienced this. When, I would assume that when Newton read this text, it was like, I've been there. He says, we found that the water, having floated all our movables in the hold, all the casks of provisions had been beaten in pieces by the violent motion of the ship. On the other hand, our livestock, such as pigs, sheep, and poultry, had been washed overboard in the storm. In effect, all the provisions we saved is gone. Basically, would have helped us and subsisted us but a week at a scanty allowance. So what they could have had, it's gone overboard. I'm assuming we're looking at the same thing. Newton had a great, great insight with that. Now Paul stands up before them and gives them a word from the Lord, and he also makes sure that they should have listened to him in the first place. And that's the kind of person you sometimes go, you know, you know, I told you. Well, he does it with right honesty and everything. So Paul stands up and he says, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail to Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart. What? Be encouraged? Okay, why? For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Uh, really? How's that going to happen? For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said... Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. Again, not a lot of absolute navigational understanding, but we're going to be taking care of the ship, gone. Okay. Very strong and bold statements from Paul, right? Not probably one of those group kind of comforting things, but he's honest. Now, Paul also has a little bit of experience on shipwrecks, correct? Second Corinthians 11.25, Paul states that three times I was beaten with a rod, 
Once I received the stoning. Three times I suffered shipwreck. Okay, he's a professional at this now. And a night and a day I spent adrift in the open sea. Interesting. And he comes up and says, I trust God. Why? I've seen him do it. And he will continue to do it. Was Paul so bold because he was a crazy lunatic? No. What happened last night during the storm is the fact that he had conversation with the sovereign God. And the sovereign God says, be at peace. It takes a man to trust those words and trust what God's going to do. Does Paul have the plan completely in his hand? Know exactly what? Nope. Same thing with all of us here. We don't always get everything, and we don't always know the resolution, but the best thing for us to just keep understanding is stay face-to-face with God. Don't leave there. The plans of God to us may not always be known or understandable, but God has a full and complete plan that will be accomplished. He's got the plan. All right, verse 27, we keep going. When the... (laughs) These, these numbers kind of blow my mind. When the 14th night had come, serious, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. So the storm continues, the 14th night, and they're still being beaten, but there's some wisdom in these sailors, and they're realizing we put a sounding. In other words, you start, you put a rope with markings and a weight, and they go, okay, the bottom of the ocean is this far. And they, later on they take it, and it's, what, what's it mean? If it's coming up, it means you're coming up to land. So that's the hope that they have. Yes, the floor of the sea is rising, which points to the fact that land may be near. Because they could not tell without the lights, they decided to drop anchors again to slow and create even more control. Because if they are coming up on land, they don't want to slam at it. They want to kind of slowly get into the coastline. That's the hope. Eh, it's not going to happen. Verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking the escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. That was their statement. That was their lie. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Guess what? No escape. Everybody has got to be on that ship for everybody to be saved. That's what God said. Interesting to see the reaction of those who do not trust and obey God. They try to figure out ways themselves to kind of, well, maybe if if we do this, we do this. No, we're we're getting out of here. They're giving a pretense that, oh, we're going to do some work out. No, you're not. You're trying to get out of here. Paul stated the Lord commanded that all will be saved. Everyone stays on the boat. No one gets off. Okay? So move a little bit further. Verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today, 
is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were all in the number of people on the ship at that point were 276. That's a lot of people. And when they had eaten, notice this, when they had eaten enough to full, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Guess what? We've had our final meal. We've eaten everything that we could. We've got strength going forward. This is the last step. So when was the last time you uh, hadn't eaten in 14 days? I know. (laughs) Great diet plan, tell you. These men are desperate, weather-beaten, cold and afraid, and look at the contrast. Paul trusts God for all things, confident, and says, let's eat. You know what? Did he scarf it down instantaneously? Because he was just as hungry. No, he stopped and thanked God for the provision of food. He knew who provided food to man, and he was thankful. You know, the scene, man, no one has eaten. So Paul literally stops and thanks God. He stops. What are we doing when things are really rough and things are extremely black? Are we scurrying all over the place trying to figure out, or do we stop and go to God? I don't know. Verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors. Now that that means they let them go, okay? No more drag force. And left them in the sea. They're gone, okay? Boats are gone, anchors are gone, okay? And at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then, hoisting the foresail to the wind... They made for the beach, they thought. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. So the scene starts looking like all is going to be saved. And they're going to go to the beach. A nice little landing, right? Just kind of run it right up on the the beach on the shore, and everyone just gets off nice, you know, put the plank down. Everyone, nope, nope. What happens? It gets stuck because of a reef, and now the back end of this ship is still inside the storm, the waves and everything that are still going, and this thing's being shredded from behind. So what do you do? Get off the ship and swim. The people that could swim, do it. If you can't swim, what do you do? Grab a plank. (laughs) You're going to need a flotation device. And also an interesting thing, too, 
They were going to beach the ship, but the training and discipline of the Roman soldiers now comes into play with a trained that there's not going to be one prisoner that's going to escape because what happens? If a prisoner escapes, the guard is executed. You failed. So their point is, get rid of the prisoners. We're going to save our life. And the centurion understanding and now trusting Paul and what he says, he says, no, we're all going. So the centurion believing Paul and trusting him knew that his sole job was to safely get Paul to Rome, not killed. So he stops the plan. Those that could swim, take the distance. Those who needed to float, go. God, God's will cannot be thwarted. No one can knock it off course. If you kind of use the analogy, you might have a hard wind going against your life, but it's not going to be off course. God has you completely in hand and control. You may see it out of control. God doesn't. So the big question is, is what else can you say that, but that God cares for us? Even in the midst of a storm. What have we seen and what will we learn from this one event in Paul's life? Well, God's sovereign. A lot of times we say it, right? When does it get tested? When we're in the dark, when we're in the trial, when we're in the storm. He's in control of everything. How many times have we studied that the storm is bad, Jesus is asleep in the boat, the apostles are in absolute panic, and they're convinced they are going to die. And Jesus gets up, comes the wind and the waves, both at the same time, and they have one question. Who is it that the wind and the waves obey? It's God. That's a physical example. This is an example. Paul's already living this. If God says, we're going to make it, we're going to make the ship, don't worry about the ship. The timing of the rest of Paul... His plea to be before Caesar, his trip to Rome via shipwreck where none perished, all God's plan. Absolutely down the right plan. Not one single bit was missed. What will you do when you're attacked or falsely accused? Will you trust in the sovereign God? What will you do when there seems to be no hope left in life? Will you trust in the sovereign God? Okay, what will you do when all around you are the turbulent winds and the destructive crashing of the waves? Will you trust in the sovereign God? Paul did and proved it with his life as he stood before those on the ship and unwaveringly proclaimed his trust in the sovereign God. So I have one question. Will you? Let's pray. God, it's way too easy for us to say that you're sovereign, say that we trust you, but the real test of that reality in our life 
is when the turbulent winds and the rough seas and the destructive events around our life occur. And the question is, will we trust you? We know that you will give us grace. You will know you will give us understanding. And we know that you will care for us. But that has to be lived out in our life in reality. The best part is you've given us the scripture and the evidence and proof that you are sovereign and you do care. Paul's shipwreck is the best example that we have right before us this morning that shows that you do care. It's a historical event that is true and we know that that reality is true today and that you will care for us and hold us and get us through whatever the storm is that we're in the middle of. And you will save us and heal us and continue to grow us. That we trust in who you are. We love you. In Jesus, amen.